Okay. Guess what? I am not the preacher today. <laughs> yeah, there's always one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to introduce you to Lucas Branstetter. Lucas has been attending here for a year and a half. Roughly. Yeah, about a year and a half. Um, Just one, two. With his wife, Carrie, and his three children. And, um, Do you know other names? I know their names, okay, Natalie and Noah and Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Lucas was part of the Timothy Project with me last year, and it's been really delightful to get to know this family. And uh, um, and he also has a background as a pastor, and so I'm really glad to have him bringing our message this morning. So would you join me? We'll pray and bless Lucas. Uh, God, I'm so grateful uh, for Lucas and for his life and for the way that you have led him and um, and brought him up under you. And we're grateful for his willingness to teach us this morning. Would you pour your spirit out over him? Give him the words that we need to hear. Uh, would this be a blessing for the speaker and the listener? We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Dana. Uh, and it's an honor to get up here in front of you this morning and, and share with you, um, continuing the series uh, on Joseph's life, uh, about God not forgetting. That the last song that we just sang, uh, I kind of feel like we could just kind of sing it for the next 30 minutes, and that really summarizes the sermon, um, that God has not forgotten us um, as we continue looking at the life of Joseph in Genesis. And now if you missed last week, uh, I want to encourage you to uh, look up Erickson Covenant Church on iTunes and, and find the sermon there and, and listen to it. You can also access it through our church's website. Um, I appreciated listening to it this past week as I was away last Sunday and, and just kind of get, hearing Tom's uh, introductions to the series and it, it helped me to, to frame uh, this week's sermon as well. Um, but let me let me bring you up to speed if if you've forgotten where we were last week and where we're going and so we can get going on this week. So I'm gonna in about three to five minutes I'm gonna cover Genesis 12 to 37. All right, so hold on. It's going to be fast. It might be a bit messy, and I'm going to jump some things. So last week, Tom reminded us that Joseph is the great-great-grandson of who? Abraham. Thank you. Yeah, he's the great-great-grandson of Abraham, and Abraham's the key, one of the key figures in Genesis, if not of all uh, the Bible, because he is the guy that God says, you know what, through you, I am going to make you a blessing to all the nations. And I'm going to give you a plethora of children, so many children that they're going to number more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. One problem, he had one son named Isaac. And he's kind of going, okay, more, there, there's one, two, three. I can count to three. There's more than three stars in the sky. I've only got one son, and his name's Isaac. And God goes, don't worry, I've got this. And Isaac goes on, and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, normally, who do you work through? You work through the older son, that being Esau. However, God chooses Jacob, Jacob being the younger son and a trickster. As you read his story, he tricks a whole lot of people. He tricks his brother. He tricks his relative to marry his daughter, and then his relative tricks him. And says, no, 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 you don't get to marry the younger daughter, you have to marry the older daughter first. It just gets awkward. And you thought your family story was messy. Well, Jacob goes on and has not one son, not two sons, but he ends up with 12 sons. 
the eleventh being the star of our story, Joseph. And, and as we look at the life of Joseph, and as we were introduced to him last week, we realize that, that Joseph was the favored son of his dad, Jacob. And, and Jacob really made this known because he gave him what? A Technicolor dream coat. Which, I mean, you know, as parents, we know we're not supposed to have favorite kids, but the reality is from time to time we have a favorite kid. I mean, that's just, that's just the truth. But, but on Monday for me it might be Natalie, and on Tuesday it might be Noah, and on Wednesday it might be Lizzie, but not always in that order. Um, but he, he made it known that Joseph was my favorite son, and here's this nice coat that you get to wear to identify that. Well, well, Joseph had no problem being let this known, and, and on top of that, he, he has these crazy dreams. These dreams where, you know, he's got a stalk of wheat, and his brothers all have a stalk of wheat, and they're doing this. And bowing down to him, and, and he has no problem sharing these dreams with his brothers. And then he has another dream where the sun, moon, and 11 stars all bow down to him. Um, so they say, they, they're like, what? These dreams are ridiculous. You think you're going you're gonna to rule over us or something? I don't know, maybe. But he had no problem sharing these dreams. And as their brother heard these dreams and they saw the coat that he got, they didn't really like Joseph. They hated him. And, and as we're going to see in a little bit, they wanted to eventually get rid of him and, and kill him. And so one day their their father says, hey, Joseph, I, I know your brothers hate you, but why don't you go see what they're doing up in Shechem? Go check on them with the with the sheep. You, you know, you once did that for me and you brought back not a good report. Why don't you go see what they're doing? See if they're doing good now. And so he goes up to Shechem and he gets to Shechem and he goes, hey, Where's my brothers? And they're like, oh, they've moved on to Dothan. And so he goes up to Dothan. And as he is traveling on to Dothan, his brothers see him coming and go, hey, it's it's our opportunity. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. And so they're plotting how to kill him. And and Reuben comes up, his oldest brother, and is like, um, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in a pit. Let's just, you know, make him suffer for a little bit. And, and Reuben was doing this and hoping of sparing his brother's life. And then he takes off again. Well, his brothers are all sitting, having their lunch, talking, and along comes this caravan uh, of Midianite traders. And they're like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's make a buck off of him. Let's sell him. Because then we, we accomplish not only getting rid of him, but then we also make some money. And so they pull their brother out of the pit take off his technicolor dream coat and sell him to the traders. And, you know, they're, they're, they're free from this dreamer, free from their father's favored son who might take back another bad report. And then they take the coat and they dip it in blood and they tear it up and they take it back to, his, to their father and say, is this your son Joseph's coat? Yes. And their father is a wreck and he really never recovers from that. Until much later on. And so his brothers think, well, well that's, the, that's the end of Joseph. Don't have to worry about this anymore. And, but Joseph, as we find him now, is on his way to Egypt to be sold as a slave. But before we, we really get into that story, I want to ask you a question. And, and I'm not looking for uh, an answer, but maybe write it down on a piece of paper if you want. I want, I want you to think of a time 
that was especially difficult for you. Maybe it was the loss of a job, loss of a family member, uh, an illness, a divorce. Think of a time that was difficult for you. And when you've got that down, I want you to take a moment. And, and, and what was your hope? What was, the, what was the thing that helped you to carry on through that season of your life? I'm just going to give you a moment to think about that. And the reason that I asked that is that as I looked through the story of Joseph and read Genesis 39 over and over and just to get the real grasp of the story, that's what I kept coming back to. What was Joseph's hope in this situation? What, what kept him going day in and day out, even when things got dark? And, and what I kept coming back to was simply that the Lord was with him, and he, he had some sense of that. I'm not saying that he always remember, reminded of that, but he kept coming back to that the Lord was with him. Or to put it another way, God never forgets him regardless of his circumstances. So now let's, let's look through the, um, the story in, in Genesis chapter 39. And continue the story of Joseph and see where God takes him. So if you've got a Bible, whether it's in a, on an app or in a book, I want to encourage you to read it. Or if you're like me, I've got it on my iPad in a PDF form. So would you just follow along with me in Genesis 39? Now Joseph was, had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. I kind of have this, uh, you know, the whole Simba and Mufasa scene where Simba has a vision of Mufasa and Mufasa is like Simba. That's that's kind of the voice I'm going for. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with with him and that the Lord gave him success and everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Pharaoh put him in charge of his household and he entrusted his care with everything he owned from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he he owned the lord blessed the household of the egyptian because of joseph the lord the blessing of the lord was on everything potiphar had both in the house and in the field so he left joseph in care of everything he had with joseph in charge he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate how, much, how many people would like that? Have somebody who just runs your entire household and life, and the only thing you got to worry about is, you know, making your steak for dinner. I mean, that would be kind of nice. I don't think many of us could afford to do that, but it would be nice. Now, Joseph, and I love this line, was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge. He told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Do you hear the honor and, and integrity that Joseph is having in this situation? How he, he's not saying, no, just get away from me. But he's, he's saying, you know what? Yeah, everything's in my care. Everything's under my charge. But you have not been given to me. I'm going to respect my master. He, you are his wife. And I am not going to sin against God in doing this. 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day when he went to the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside, she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he's left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants, Look! She said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. We came in here to sleep. He came in here to sleep with me. But I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, she, he left this cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Because obviously she talked like that. And when his master heard the story that the wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And his master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, how many guys would be right with Pharaoh or Potiphar at this point? You just hear that somebody mistreated your wife. How many of you are burning with anger? And show of hands, yeah. We're, I, I especially, I would be with burning with anger and rage and want to do more than just throw the dude in prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that he had done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So here's the thing. If you leave with nothing else today i want you to leave with the fact that in this whole story the lord was with joseph through being sold into slavery taken into a foreign land sold to potiphar and then being falsely accused and thrown into jail in all those situations the lord was with joseph or to say it another way god never forgets him regardless of his circumstances. And for us, too, as followers of Jesus, that is true as well. There is no circumstance that we are going to go through in life that God is not going to walk with us and be with us there. So how, then, do we see God not forgetting Joseph in all that he does? The, the first way that we really see God not forgetting Joseph is that God guides Joseph's path both in his location and in how he, how he acts and handles himself, the success that he has. And so looking at the location, you know, when we read through the story, there, there's nothing in there that specifically says that God led Joseph to Potiphar's house. But if you think he gets sold into slavery, he gets taken to Egypt, he's got no control over who buys him. We know that he was, you know, good looking, and so maybe the, the slave traders could ask for an extra dollar for him. But there's really no control over who he got sold to. He could have been sold to a pig farmer or a dairy farmer. He could have been put in a whole lot of situations and not only been forgotten by his brothers, but by history as well. But God guides the selling of Joseph so that he ends up in Potiphar's house. Now, to us, maybe initially it kind of seems like, well, why does that even matter? Well, because when Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual, uh, of, of rape, he doesn't just throw him in any prison. He throws him in a prison with the king's prisoners, which is kind of a wink and a nudge of what's to come. Because if you know the rest of the story, Joseph is there for a while, and then he meets these two guys, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And they both have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams. One 
has a favorable interpretation and, and ends up dying, and the other one a fa- has a favorable one and goes back and is restored to his place. And then a few years later, the Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret it. And, and the one that gets returned to his position kind of scratches his head. You know, there was a guy in prison who interpreted my dream, and that's why I'm back here. Maybe he can interpret yours. And Joseph then gets an audience with Pharaoh. And, and that's really for a whole other sermon. But it's just to show you that even now, God is working. God is directing Joseph's life to put him where he needs him to be, step by step. And what we need to see is that really in life, for God, there are no curveballs. Every once in a while, you know, there's things that happen to our lives where we just do this. Like yesterday, I was out for a run, and I was just running along, kind of cruising along, uh, heading out towards Wendell, and, and just kind of and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little dog about this big. Just start running up the side of the hill, just barking at me like crazy. And I'm kind of going, okay, maybe he'll ignore me. Well, he gets there, and if you know the road, there's barricades. And he stands on the other side of the barricade just barking and showing his teeth. And he's he's not liking me, and so I just do this. And, and I thought I'd seen the garage door open, so I yelled at him. I'm like, hey, can you come get your dog? I don't want him to jump in the road or to bite my neck. And and, and that was kind of a curveball for me because I didn't know what to do. All I could do was throw up my hands and hope the dog didn't bite me. But when Joseph got thrown into slavery, that wasn't a curveball to God. He's like, I knew this was coming. And I've planned to work through this, and I'm going to use this for good and for my glory and for you to be a blessing, not just to your family, not just to the nation of Egypt, but to all the surrounding nations. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is God saying, Abraham, through you, I will bless all the nations. And and here's really just a a small way that God does that. When this famine hits not just Egypt, but all the surrounding nations, who ends up helping and saving? It's Joseph, which is really just a nudge down the road to to Christ who comes, an even greater great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Abraham, who saves not just the Israelites, but those from all nations. And so we're seeing God working here. There are no curveballs to God. God's already prepared for them. But Joseph being led to the location of Potiphar's house isn't the only way that we see God leading him. As we read through the story, we see that when he's in Potiphar's house and when he's in prison, he's having success. He's having wisdom on how to run a household and how to manage other people. Where in the world did he learn this? Because as we see him when he's 17, he's hanging out with mom and dad back at the tents. His brothers are the ones up with the sheep, helping and herding and doing all that stuff. So maybe his dad's having some little, you know, here's how to be a good manager. Here's how to do things. And and we do get a hint that at maybe... him having some administrative gifts when he walked up and saw his brothers not managing the sheep well and bringing back a bad report. But we really don't see Joseph going through any sort of formal education, formal schooling. So where did he learn how to be a good manager? Where did he learn how to do all the things that he needed to be able to do in Potiphar's house? The only thing that I can really gather is that God spoke to him and God taught him and God showed him how to be faithful and a good steward of his time and his finances while he was there. 
And, and what happens? Is it just Joseph that's blessed? No, God blesses Potiphar because Joseph is in his house. And it says not just in his house, but in his field as well. And so we see God granting him wisdom through his time there so that he can have success. And then we see the same thing being repeated when he's in prison. He, he gets thrown in prison unjustly, and, and he goes there. But again, he serves faithfully. He does what he can. He doesn't, we don't see him complaining about it, but we see him helping to, to serve in whatever way he can. And eventually, what happens? Over time, the warden of the prison puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and grants him, again, success because the Lord was with Joseph. You know, just a few minutes ago, uh, I asked you to think of a difficult situation that you found yourself in. And, and it, when, we, when we go through those times, it can be really challenging to always look back and go, is God with or In that moment, it's hard to look and go, is God with me now? And, and it's easy to be on the other side and say, yeah, I can see how God worked in that. But it's hard sometimes in, in the muck and the mud to be like, yeah, God is with me. And that's really why we need stories like this to remind us that in those difficult situations that God never forgets us regardless of our circumstances. As well, Paul tells us in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This doesn't mean that you're going to end up being the mayor of Creston or a ruler in Egypt. But it does mean that as God works through those situations, that he has a redemptive purpose, a purpose in your life and in the life of those around you. For Joseph, God was working to put him in place where he could be a blessing not just to his family, not just to Egypt, but a blessing to all the nations. You know, a few years ago, or a couple of years ago, back in, uh, actually more than a couple of years ago, back in 2015, uh, my family and I moved uh, to Davidson. Uh, Saskatchewan, uh, which is about an hour south of Saskatoon and an hour and a half north of Regina. And if that doesn't help you, then I can't really help you and only Google can. Um, but we lived there and we went there to pastor a small church. And needless to say, uh, it was a difficult time. Um, and not just because there were difficult people there, but there was a difficult pastor there as well. And uh, it was it was very, very challenging for me. I was a difficult pastor. Um, if you didn't catch that. And, and during my time there, um, I, I got to a point where I, I went through a season of, of having depression. Uh, and towards the end of our time, uh, I finally got smart because my wife looked at me directly in the eyes and said, go talk to a counselor. And, and guys, you, you know that look on your wife's face when she says, go do this. You know it's either do this or you're dead. So I went and talked to a counselor. And uh, I contacted a Christian counseling service in Saskatoon uh, and just said, hi, I need to, you know, talk to a counselor. I'm dealing with some depression um, and didn't really know who I was going to end up with or, or what the person was like. I kind of heard some mixed reviews about this counseling service. Um, but I went up there and, and I sat down uh, with the, the gentleman. I'm just going to call him Joe because I'm terrible with names and I don't remember him for more than five seconds. And so I, I sat down and I started telling my story to Joe. And where I was at and what was going on in my life, my, my struggles and my thoughts and all, all those things. And, I, and at one point during our conversation, he just said, I want you to know something. I've been in your shoes. I've been a pastor. And, and not only that, uh, but I've also counseled the previous pastor to you. And, and all of a sudden, I'm just going, 
this is kind of a godsend to me because you know the backstory. You know some of the story that I don't even know. And, and all of a sudden, I knew that I had been placed with the guy that I needed to be with. And we met a few more times before our time in Sask- or Saskatchewan was, was done, but it was just very beneficial conversations, very encouraging and hopeful uh, as we met together and encouraged. And I knew that uh, it was something that I couldn't have Ill- I couldn't have orchestrated, but only God could have put in place and, and guided me there. And it was something that also just revealed to me that even though I had been unfaithful in some ways, that our God was still faithful. And it was good and encouraging. Now, let's just admit, like I said, it's not always easy in those situations to remember that God is there with us. But we always need to be willing to allow these stories of Joseph to remind us that God is there in the midst of those circumstances, guiding our life, guiding our whole life. And he's working it for his purposes and for his glory and for our good. But God just guiding Joseph in in a location wasn't the only way that we see him working in Joseph's life. We see him working in another way. Now, uh, you know, I've really emphasized throughout the whole passage, we read at least four times, that the Lord was with Joseph. And over and over again, that's repeated. But did you catch some of the other phrases that are somewhat repeated? There's a few of them that are very similar. In verse 2, we read, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3, the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse 4, 5, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And then again in verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And then towards the end of the passage, it talks about how he gave him success in the prison. And so over and over again, we, we hear this, this common theme of the Lord showing him favor wherever he was at. Now, this doesn't mean that, yeah, he's going to always have it free and easy and good health and lots of money. That's not what following Jesus is about. But we can't ignore in the story that there are times when, when God shows him favor and he shows us favor as well. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. And one of the first ways that we see God showing Joseph favor is simply in the fact that he got to Egypt alive. Now, when, you, when we read through the story, it, it kind of reads like this. He was in Dothan, and the next day he's in Egypt. That's not really the case. Because if, if you look on a map where Dothan is thought to be and where Egypt is at, it's about the same distance as from Creston to Vernon. Now, many of us are like, well, I can do that in a day. I can get up. I can have breakfast. I can, you know, I'll stop somewhere along the way and have lunch, and, and I'll be there sometime mid-afternoon. Yeah, but Joseph didn't have a car. He was most likely on foot. So how many of you would like to take a 90-hour walk to Vernon? I mean, because that's roughly what it's going to take. But you're not going to do 90 hours straight. So we're looking at probably a couple of weeks of walking from Dothan to Egypt through desert, through who knows what kind of conditions. And so he gets there. And one of the reasons I stress this is because one commentator noted that in one ancient text, and the reason I call it an ancient text is because I couldn't pronounce the name of the ancient text. From the 14th century B.C., tells of a man in Syria being sold by his comrade to a passing caravan of Egyptians who stripped him of his goods and abandoned him. So that's a thing. That, yeah, you might get sold into slavery, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get to where you're going to be sold. And that could have happened to Joseph. But it doesn't. God allows him to get to Egypt so he can be sold as a slave. 
And when he gets there and he gets to Potiphar's house, again, we see God showing him favor because he gives him somewhat of a Midas touch. When he goes into Potiphar's house, he has success with whatever he does. And he helps Potiphar be profitable to the extent where Potiphar, it says, left Joseph in care of everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Again, I mean, how many of you would like that? Have somebody who just runs everything for you. It would be kind of nice. All you got to worry about is your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and maybe the snacks in between. Everything he left in Joseph's care. Now, obviously, this wasn't something that just happened overnight. Joseph didn't show up in Egypt, handsome and in good appearance. And Potiphar would be like, hey, you come run my house. No, he had to prove himself, and God gave him wisdom. And Joseph was faithful in small things, and eventually... Potiphar put him in charge of larger things and eventually his whole house. And so the first way that we see Joseph experiencing the Lord's favor, or actually the second way that we see Joseph seeing the Lord's favor, is just the success that he has in Potiphar's house, which is again repeated when he's in prison. And there's there's one more way that I want to talk about Joseph having favor, um, and that's in him going to prison. But before we get there, I want to just address the ugliness of the verses of this passage, because really this deals with sexual harassment. And and that's what Joseph is enduring here. He's being sexually harassed by someone who's in somewhat of a position of power over him. I mean, yeah, he's in charge of everything in the house. But really, who's got who's got first chair next to Potiphar, Joseph or his wife? Probably his wife. And she probably got most of anything that she wanted. And what she wanted was Joseph. And so daily she sexually harassed him. And and now I know for some of you, you've been there. Or you know somebody directly who has experienced that. And so I don't want you to leave here thinking that I somehow think that that's the Lord's favor. It's not. Nor do I think that the sexual harassment that Joseph experiences and the temptation that he experiences is the Lord's favor. And nor do I see that, you know, anybody being just or fair for a victim of that to end up in in jail. But with that said, I want to share for just a few moments why him ending up in jail was actually was the Lord's favor in this situation. Not in every situation, but in this situation. Um, and the first way, really, is that simply that Potiphar didn't kill him. Because, I mean, if, if I was Potiphar and I came home and my wife said so-and-so tried to rape me, that's kind of my first thought. And you can blame it on me being American, but that that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, you did what to my wife? <laughs> you you no longer get to live. And I'd be doing prison ministry from the inside. And again, let's but Potiphar doesn't do that. He just puts him in prison for whatever reason. And and you know, there's people who think, well, you know, Potiphar didn't really believe his wife or such and such. But for whatever reason, Potiphar put Joseph in prison. And again, that's not just, that's not fair. But God can work in the ugliest situations for his good. That's how good our God is. And so Joseph's sent to prison. And as we look at this situation, if I was in Joseph's shoes before being sent to prison, one of the things I would have been wanting to try to do was get as far away from Potiphar's wife as possible. And as we see, he does that. He constantly refuses her. He constantly says no. 
he he makes sure not to spend time with her at all. So that means he doesn't like, you know, go have a cup of coffee with her on break or meet her for a glass of wine after work. He avoids being with her at all cost. The problem is, though, is that he can't leave his job. Even though he's head of the house, he's still a slave. There's no two weeks notice. There's no reporting to an HR department. There's no group that is active or who is, you know, fighting for the rights of slaves. Joseph's stuck there. And all he can do is continue to say no. And all he can do is make sure that he's not spending time alone with her. In fact, I, as you read that, the situation where he finally grabs her cloak, I kind of see this happening. He's walking to the house and she's hiding behind something. And when he walks in a little further, she kind of sneaks up grabs his coat and says, hey, come have sex with me. And he just books it out of there. So I kind of see some premeditation going on in that situation. And so when Joseph finally ends up in prison, he's free. He no longer has to deal with this woman constantly pursuing him, constantly having to avoid her. He he doesn't have to fear her control. He doesn't have to fear, you know, slipping up and making a mistake. Because also as a guy, if you've got a girl constantly tossing herself at you, the temptation is just to go, well, yeah, sure. Like, let, let's do that. That sounds fun. But 20 seconds of pleasure would have dishonored God, would have dishonored his master, and probably would have cost him his life. And so he's finally free of all of that. You know, this whole situation kind of reminds me of the proverb uh, 21.9. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to be in prison than to live under the roof of an adulterous woman. Because you're not having to, to deal with her. And as I've said, jail was not so much the fair place for Joseph to end up. But as we see when he was there... God, again, grants him success, and the warden puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. And so if I was in Joseph's shoes and I had to choose between living in Potiphar's house but having his wife constantly pursue me sexually or being in prison, I'll choose prison, hands down, any day of the week. And that can be a challenging thing to have to choose. And thankfully, Joseph didn't have to choose it. He just, that's where he went to go. And as we see, and as we know with the rest of the story, God continues to bless Joseph and use him and eventually puts him in Potiphar's, puts him in Pharaoh's house so that he can bless not only his family in Egypt, but all the nations. You know, it can be challenging in, in difficult situations of our life to see how God is working and how he's going to use the muck and the mud to really bring us to where he wants us to be. And so we need stories like this to constantly remind us that God has not forgotten us, that he's going to have a redemptive purpose for what is going on in our life. And also, as follower of Jesus, we know, uh, as the author of Hebrews says, God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So there's, there's no situation that we walk into that God isn't prepared for, that God isn't ready to walk with us through. And the reason being is that we have faith in Jesus who willingly went to the cross for us and dealt with the one thing that separated us from God, that being our sin. The 15th century reformer Martin Luther called it the great exchange. He said he took our sin and gave us his right. Or another way to put it is that he took 
our garbage and gave us his gold so that we could live with with God in eternity and, and now walk in confidence knowing that man can do nothing against us. Paul also reminds us because of that, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As followers of Jesus, God's never going to forget us, and he's going to be with us in all circumstances.